throughout the course of my nursing career, you know, I saw many deathbed experiences, end of life experiences. So people as they were dying, I witnessed them communicating with someone I couldn't see, but clearly they were having this conversation. And very often the patient before they died became very calm when they were having these conversations. You might see smiles appearing on their face and they look quite comfortable where they were. And I think I was exposed to that on my very first day as a student nurse, in fact. I can remember I was on the morning shift, so the night nurse was handing over to us, and she casually remarked, the man in bed six is going to be dead by the end of the morning. He's been talking to his dead mother since three o'clock in the morning. And I thought they were trying to wind me up because it was my first day. But no, I, I went out to this man's bedside, and indeed I did witness him communicating with someone I couldn't see and then he kind of had this big smile on his face and his arms outstretched he had such a lovely smile there and then he just kind of lay down closed his eyes and as if he'd gone to sleep but he he died at that point this is the when you die podcast if it has to do with death and dying we're talking about it I'm Johanna Lund, your host today. With me today is Dr. Penny Sartori, a highly skilled intensive care nurse, educator, and leading world expert in near-death experiences. Dr. Sartori has been researching NDEs for over 25 years and has authored a number of books on the subject, including The Wisdom of Near-Death Experiences. It is through this work that she is leading the way to improve end-of-life care. Penny, thank you so much for being here today and talking with me and for your participation in the When You Die project and the trilogy. I'm so grateful to you as a person, and I'm really grateful for the amazing work that you're doing. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's, it's a real honor to be a part of this. I think what you're doing is amazing as well. So thank you. I'm just wondering, because near-death experiences have been really a big focus of your life now for how long has it been? 15 years? No, since about 1995, I really got interested in them. I did the pilot study in 1997. So yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. It feels to me, and I'm curious what your thoughts on this are, that NDEs are becoming a little more broadly accepted than when you first started. Yeah, I think so, definitely, actually, because when I first started my research, I found it really difficult to get people to share their experiences with me. Um, A lot of people were very hesitant. They didn't know if they could trust me because it's such a deeply personal experience. They didn't know how it would be received or if they would be perceived as going crazy. But I think over the years, there's been more in the media about near-death experiences. And I think that then has encouraged the conversation, if you like, and more and more people are, are talking about them. And what I find really interesting is in the last 10 years or so, there's a lot of medical doctors who have had their own near-death experiences who are now talking about them publicly as well. And I think the fact that medical doctors are talking about their own experiences has really opened up the playing field. And I think people are less afraid to 
talk about their experiences and more people are becoming curious about them. So people are exploring them. When I first heard about near-death experiences, I kind of dismissed them as some sort of hallucination. And it was only when I started studying them and really engaging with them that I realised there was something very different. And I think there's a lot of people out there now who are starting to explore these experiences in more depth. And I think it's making people curious as well. I know that in the course of your work, that it's not just near-death experiences that you've stumbled across, if you will, but end-of-life experiences and shared death and just spiritually transformative experiences. Is that so? Yes. So um, throughout the course of my nursing career, you know, I saw many deathbed experiences, end-of-life experiences. So people, as they were dying, I witnessed them communicating with someone I couldn't see but clearly they were having this conversation. And very often the patient before they died became very calm when they were having these conversations. You might see smiles appearing on their face and they look quite comfortable where they were. And I think I was exposed to that on my very first day as a student nurse, in fact. I can remember I was on the morning shift, so the night nurse was handing over to us and she casually remarked, the man in bed six is going to be dead by the end of the morning. He's been talking to his dead mother since three o'clock in the morning. And I thought they were trying to wind me up because it was my first day. But no, I, I went out to this man's bedside and indeed I did witness him communicating with someone I couldn't see. And then he kind of had this big smile on his face and his arms outstretched. He had such a lovely smile there. And then he just kind of lay down, closed his eyes, and as if he'd gone to sleep, but he, he died at that point. So I think that stuck with me from early on in my nursing career. And then I kind of observed it many times after that. And I actually observed it in my own grandfather when he was dying, because we nursed him at home. And at the time, I wasn't really interested in end-of-life visions or near-death experiences because I hadn't started my research at that point. But I remember shortly before my grandfather died, he would be pointing at the, the bedroom door and he'd be saying, look who's there, look who's come to see me. And there was no one there. That was something that I witnessed within my own family as well. What human benefit do you think these kinds of experiences have for us? What do you think it says about our humanity that these are increasingly as we're finding common experiences? What I've observed through my nursing career is that these kind of experiences are very calming for the person as they are transitioning towards death. And it might be that in the initial phases of having these visions, the patients might be a little bit resistant and they might say, go away, I don't want to come with you, I'm not ready yet. So there might be that sort of resistance. But as that process unfolds and as they get closer to death, usually within the space of about a week or so, they become more accepting of the visions as well. And then they actually enjoy these conversations. Some patients would talk more about them, but some would prefer to keep them private and not disclose what they were seeing. But some were very clearly communicating with deceased members of their family or, or friends. And I think they gained a lot of comfort from that and it was helping them to transition. Yeah, I think 
it's part of a natural process, isn't it? You know, it's going to happen to every one of us, but we tend not to think about what's going to happen at our own death. So if we push it aside and we don't explore it, it's easy to dismiss these things as well. But sometimes what the patients see is what the people they converse with are people that they didn't know to be dead at the time. I've got an example of someone in my research who was dying and we'd called his family members in during the night because we thought he was going to die in the middle of the night. But his condition settled and the family had been back and forth several times. They returned back home when his condition stabilised. After they left, my colleague called me and they said, look at that man. And there were a few of us and we all watched him. He had this lovely smile on his face and he was mouthing the words what are you doing here and we could see him for about 30 minutes he was conversing with someone we couldn't see and then he kind of settled and then he went off to sleep as it happens in the morning when his family returned to to visit him I'd gone home at this point because my night shift had finished he said to the family you'll never guess who was there in the night visiting me and he described seeing his mother and his grandmother who had both died but he said, my sister was with them. What was she doing with them? And unbeknown to him, his sister had actually died the week before, but no one had told him that because they didn't want it to set back his recovery. So during that vision, he actually saw his sister as well without realising that she was dead. A few days later, his condition deteriorated again and he died shortly afterwards. So a lot of comfort there. Yes, absolutely. It's very common to see these patients looking very, very peaceful, very comfortable and at peace with themselves as well, like a healing process for them. So in the days as they transition towards death, some tend to slip in and out of consciousness as if they're deeply unconscious at one point. And then we might be doing nursing care at the bedside and the patient might speak out of the blue. As if they're lapsing in and out of consciousness as well and I think when they're kind of looking more unconscious I think that's more of when they perhaps they've got a foot in both worlds if you like so perhaps they're more in, in touch with their spiritual side at that point so they transition back and forth between it as if they're processing everything as well there's a lot of literature out there about reminiscence how they reflect on their life and if you think about in the near-death experience which is a, an acute phase of the dying process patients actually have a, a life review that's commonly reported and during the life review they can see everything that they've done in their life sometimes they'll see very insignificant things and they'll remember everything and they'll remember it all in minute detail but mm -hmm. there can be like a reflective aspect of it as well where they think oh I wish I'd behaved more appropriately in that situation they tend to return to life with some sort of moral changes during the life review they might find themselves in the position of someone they've interacted with so if they've been unpleasant to someone they can feel what it's like to be on the receiving end of that unpleasantness if they've been nice to someone and not realized it they can feel like what it's like as well to have those nice things why is it you think if we're reflecting on how we've lived if death is the end what would be the purpose of all of that reflection as well because when we reflect on things it's to make improvements in the future and so i find that aspect quite interesting of course not everyone who has an nd 
actually dies after their NDE, but actually lives. So they're taking with them that experience of a life review, which might be a different kind of message than when someone is dying and they're in the active dying process. But before that, they are reflecting on their life that somehow wanting to make your life have some value to tie up loose ends. Did I do okay? Did my life have meaning? All of those kinds of things. And I wonder if the near death review is different than the kind of end of life review that can happen, or if you see them as the same. Yeah, I think there's slight differences because the end of life, obviously the person isn't going to return, they are going to die. And it's usually during the end of life experiences, during that period of a few days, that's when patients start to kind of make amends and make peace. There's an estranged family member, it might be that they will request to see that family member, or they might send a message to someone. It's as if they are processing everything, processing their life, and then making peace with their life as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you get quite a bit of email, don't you? Oh gosh, yes, I get I get so many. I can't respond to them anymore. I just get too many and it's a full-time job responding to them. I do get a lot of emails from people describing their experiences. Some people trying to make sense of what's happened to them. They really just don't understand these experiences and they've sought help from maybe other health professionals who don't understand the experience. And so they're still trying to process what's happened to them. And of course, I get emails from grieving family members as well, because they're trying to make sense of what's happened to their love. I tend to get quite a lot of emails. Mm. And that makes me think about education. I think that's something that is so critical. And while we are hearing more about NDEs, what are we doing right at the end of life with our healthcare? And what are we getting wrong? Oh, that's such a good question. Because I think there's not enough in our education for healthcare workers about these experiences. And there is quite a bit of education on end of life. But when it comes to the subjective experiences that patients experience and indeed with the shared death experience maybe relatives at the bedside might also have this experience there is such lack of understanding and lack of attention given to these subjects that unfortunately healthcare workers don't know how to respond to a patient if they do report the near-death experience or if they witness an end-of-life experience so I think it's crucial that these experiences become part of the education of all healthcare professionals. I've been in nurse education department at the university and it's always something that I try to bring into some of my lectures as well to the nurses. And the nurses are really fascinated, the student nurses, you know, they're all fascinated by these experiences and they ask loads of questions. It generates such good conversations. Mm. And very often some of the students will talk about their own experience as well, and they've never been able to understand it. Mm. So I, I think it's so important that these experiences are in the education 
of all health professionals because the nurses and the doctors and other health professionals who are at the bedside when patients have these experiences. Yeah, validate, 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 right? Absolutely. That's yeah. the most important thing. I'm sure the UK is like this as well as here in Canada, and certainly I know it's true in the US, it's probably a global thing right now, that our healthcare system is strained beyond its limits. And doctors and nurses, all the healthcare workers really, are handling caseloads that are overwhelming. And somehow I do think that the message of near-death experiences and the message of -of end-of-life experiences can also be comforting to a healthcare worker as well. Definitely. You're quite right. All of our health systems are overloaded. They're constantly busy and there's not enough nurses and there's not enough resources to do the thing need to do. Working as a nurse in the ICU, when I got into doing my research, that gave me a completely different perspective on life. It gave me an insight about death and the dying process. But more than that, it gave me greater insight in the way I live my life and how I became grateful for the simple things that I had in life instead of striving for things that I didn't have. All of a sudden, it made me very much aware of how blessed and lucky I am in my position and the simple things in life and the way I live my life. I was very competitive before, but... Since doing my research, it's given me that different understanding of life. It's just drastically changed my values and everything that I perceived life to be, really. It's had a big difference for me. And also, I think that's what allowed me to continue working in ICU for 17 years, because I think the research gave me that different perspective on life. So when patients were dying, It was a privilege to be at the bedside when a patient dies. And I just had that slightly different perspective than I had when I started. When I first started there, it was very much about saving lives and doing all we could to stop patients from dying. But then I realised patients are going to die inevitably, despite what we've done. So it's important to acknowledge the dying process as well. So it gave me very different perspectives. Yeah. There's a woman, Anne-Marie Chasson, she's a medical doctor who's been a palliative care and hospice worker for many years, and she's part of the When You Die project in the films as well. And one of the things that she really says to families, don't expect the same thing out of the medical team at end of life. You need a different team, that there are people that run away from death and there are people that run towards death. And when that time for healing is up, you need a team that knows how to really support the dying process. That's them running towards death, if you will. Yeah, that's lovely. And you're quite right. It is a different kind of team that's needed in those circumstances. I'm used to working in the ICU where it was always treat, 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 treat until the end when the patient is dying. And it's not just the patient, you're looking after the family members as well. And there's such loss that goes when when the patient dies. And I saw that quite a lot in the ICU. I think it's important that the family are cared for just as much as, as the patients. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
end-of-life experiences and near-death experiences and shared death experiences and all of these really spiritually transformative experiences that are slowly becoming more public. I think there is a huge appetite for these stories, not just because there are people that have had experiences, but they don't know what they are and they're afraid to talk about them. And so it's helping people who have had those experiences make meaning of their experience. But I also wonder if we're not as a broader public, really interested in these stories because it's telling us something about what it is to be a human being, that we are so much more than just the three-dimensional flesh and bone kind of being. We live in a very material world. And like you were saying, your research has really changed the way that you live. Most people don't have the opportunity to do the research, but as the stories come out, I think it has another kind of transformative quality. Not sure about that, but what do you think? Oh, definitely. It makes me think about my place in the world. Looking at these near-death experiences, we've kind of always busy doing something. We're not human beings anymore. We're human doings. We're always doing something. We're always busy. We've lost that part of ourselves if you like the most natural part of who we are and it's to be still and it's to notice the things around us sometimes our lives become so busy that we miss out on subtle things as well and it's these subtleties that I think we've lost touch with they're essential parts of what it is to be human a lot of people dismiss certain things like for example a good friend of mine she's retired now but she was a university academic. And now that she's slowed down and coming towards the end of her career, as she was slowing down a bit, she realised that she had this gift when she was younger, having like premonitions. And mm. she has developed a spiritual side of herself that has always been there, but didn't realise it was because she was always busy doing other things. And I think some of these things are there for all of us. We all have these different abilities but I think we've been conditioned the way that we think the way that we're brought up and we're not really encouraged to acknowledge any spiritual aspects of ourselves so yeah I think doing my research has given me different understanding of myself but also my place within the world because I became interested in the indigenous cultures and how respectful of nature they are because they realize that we're part of nature yet look at what we've done to the planet we're destroying the planet we're polluting the planet we're cutting down all of the trees and it's because we've lost touch with real things that are meant to be part of the human experience we've lost touch with that so I think my research has made me think in ways that I never thought before or all sort kinds of things <laughs> I almost don't know what to say. And on the other hand, I have so many things to say. I'm really sort of struck by the idea that end of life, a lot of this kind of spiritual nature of ours really does seem to be present. I mean, there can be a lot of suffering and there can be a lot of difficulty. And I never want to sugarcoat that because there can be real hardship. But for the most part, it feels like a more tangibly spiritual connection, like the veil is thin. Mm -hmm. 
And so it just seems to me that it's in that space that also not only is someone coming to terms with the end of their life, but there's also some kind of healing going on. And that's an amazing thing too, because as humans, I think that we are able to heal some of our emotional and relationship kind of wounds. I think we can heal some health things too, but I think more just that generally at end of life, it seems like there's an opportunity for families to do some healing that maybe they couldn't do any other time. Yes, absolutely. It's like you read my mind then. Yes, because that's exactly what I was thinking. There is healing that happens as people die, and it's more of an emotional healing. So by healing, I'm not meaning cure of the illness, but healing of who they are. I'll give an example of a good friend of mine. She was dying of cancer, and I I met up with her in the months before she died. She said, it's okay to talk about death. I'm quite comfortable with it. It's okay. You can say the word. It's fine. And so we had these great conversations, and she said, Although I know I'm going to die and I'm going to miss my family, but I feel healed. She said, this process has made me contemplate aspects of my life that I'd not contemplated before. I've had experiences and been with my family in ways that I wouldn't have if I didn't know I was dying. And she said, I look at it as a gift as well. And so she said, I feel at peace with everything and I feel healed. And she did have a a very peaceful transition into death. So, yes, you're right. People can be healed emotionally at the end of their life. Absolutely. And it's important that we allow them the space to have those conversations. They're difficult conversations for everyone. But if the person wants to talk about it, it's important that they do talk about it. And they are processing what they're going through as well, because it can be very healing. It's an incredible gift when you think about it. It is because we go around life and you don't kind of think about your own death at all. I never did. I never contemplated my own death until I started doing my research. And it's only then that you really start to learn about death. That's when you really start to learn about life. So it can give you so many opportunities. Now I think you read my mind. I wanted to talk about that too. Sue Brain's book really kind of goes into this as well, that living fully that oftentimes our fear of death is very closely related to our fear of really living, that we hold back out of some kind of fear that you'll mess up, you'll go broke, you'll whatever, all the nightmare closet things will be flung wide open and we're not living fully and we're avoiding death. There's such an interesting relationship there. Yeah, absolutely. And I know Sue quite well. And yes, it's all about living fully, because when you can contemplate your own death, that's when you start to think about your life as well. I haven't been doing those things. I want to do them. I'm I'm afraid to do them or I'm not good enough to do that. But so what? You could be dead. Go out and do them. Enjoy it. Live life to the full. So many people live their life in fear instead of seizing the opportunities that are there for them. So I think it's really important that we contemplate your own death because it will give you a different perspective on your life. There's a very old Christian monastic meditation. I think it goes back to the monastic Cluny in France. And I don't know what century that was, fourth century or something. It's like a coin. One side is 
remember you must die. And then the flip side of the coin is remember you must live. And it's the indivisibility of that relationship. I love remember you must live. Actually, it's a slogan we have around the office here. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great slogan. Yeah. And that's so important. Absolutely. Yeah. But sometimes when I say that to to friends, they, they kind of are taken aback, like, well, of course I'm living. I'm like, but are you living? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's as well to get into kind of like a rut where you go to work, you have your time off, you go back to work. And some people are so much in that rut because they've got bills to pay and things. And it's hard to see beyond that. And sometimes... It takes something like a big wake-up call to make you think about these things. So it's best to do it of your own volition than to wait and get to the point where you think, oh, God, you're diagnosed with an illness or something like that, because it can be a big wake-up call then. That's the truth. That is the truth. And I think that's also why best-selling books about the seven most common things dying people say, that I could have lived more fully. I should have spent more time with my family. I, whatever, all of, all of those things. I didn't say, I love you. I didn't say, I'm sorry. And they are the most basic things. We're so speedy and busy in our world. And the news is so overwhelming that it's hard to think just taking a walk in the woods is really one of the best things I could do right now. Yeah, absolutely. Getting out there in nature, you know, that's so important. This conversation has taken me back to a man called Tibor Putnoki, and he's from Hungary, and he had a near-death experience. Sadly, he died a few few years ago, um, about two years ago now. I had the privilege of meeting him and attending some of his talks. And what struck me about one of his talks was that during his near-death experience, he was asked three questions by a presence and the questions were did you have a life before your death did you live a life which was worthy of a human being and could you look into other people's eyes with a pure heart and your head held high and I just thought wow there is such wisdom in those questions the first one did you have a life before your death that is so beautiful Penny really yeah Those are wonderful questions. Mm. I'm struck too that just by the loving nature of asking questions like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't a judgment at all. And during his near-death experience, he felt this overwhelming love. And it was those questions that came up and they were asked in in a very loving way. And and that's it. And it's something that I reflect on quite a lot. I often go back to those words and think, Am I living a life before I die? Sometimes I think, no, I'm just working nonstop. It's important that we stop and take time to reflect on things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it does feel like a big message of the near-death experience is one of love. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the key things that people say during their near-death experience is that they were just enveloped by this overwhelming love. This love was there constantly. So they were just felt at peace with this overwhelming, unconditional love. So whatever they'd done in their life, they were still loved unconditionally. 
Isn't that amazing? And isn't that really what we want to know? Yeah, that we're all loved. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like there's just the work that you've done and the stories that you have brought forward and are bringing forward are so important for people to hear because it's a very different message than what we get in the news every day, yeah. which is pretty depressing. Yeah, it is. You, I, I try to avoid watching the news as much as possible because it's just bad news that's reported, isn't it? So mm -hmm. I try not to watch it because it can drag me down. So I avoid it at all costs, to be honest with you. But I think a lot of people out there who do have anxieties about death, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. A few years ago, I was attending a conference in America. I went to an American hospice and it was just wonderful. It was fantastic. The attention to detail and everything there for the family as well as the person who was at the end of their life. And shortly before I'd arrived, one of the patients there had requested as a final wish to spend time with her horse and they'd actually arranged transport for her horse to the hospice and they wheeled her out in the wheelchair into the garden and she spent the afternoon with her horse so mm -hmm. I just thought it was just so amazing that they'd gone to the efforts to do such wonderful things for the patients there it can be such a lovely experience as well although it's death and dying it's something that we are all going to face at one point and it's not all doom and gloom and people can be healed as they're dying. Oh, that is so beautiful. Truly, what an incredible, incredible gift. I do think hospices can be amazing. I think being home is also a very good place to be. It can be very difficult for families to care for someone at home. So a hospice just can come to homes. But that environment where they went and got a horse, I mean, that is just so amazing. That is so amazing. And we've got the, the soul midwives as well. So do you get soul mid midwives in um, or death doulas maybe in we, Canada? Mm -hmm. We have death doulas and death midwives. I think that there was a real backlash against the term a death midwife from the birth midwives so that the term death doulas is really being embraced more. These people are companions at the end of life for people who are, are dying and they, they're there to facilitate an easeful transition into death. In the UK, we call them soul midwives and a friend of mine works as a soul midwife and she takes her time to find out from her patients where do they want to die? So some really want to go and die at the beach. Some want to die in their back garden. And so they facilitate the wishes of the patients as well. These things are so important. A lot of people do have that very peaceful transition at the end of their life. And how fortunate are we for that? Oh, I know it's amazing. It really is. I do believe there's also the ambulance service as well who are trained in palliative care with facilitating end of life. There's a lot of changes going on around death and dying. We're seeing a lot more awareness. Again, we still need to raise more awareness. The work that you're doing is working towards that. So that's really important. We need educators like you too, Penny, to be in there with the next generation of nurses and sharing your knowledge with them 
This is so important. And of course, your books will go on <laughs> for a long time. You never know whose hands they'll be in and what lives they're changing. And that's a pretty wonderful thing, too. Mm, yeah, I've never thought of it like that. Yes. You never know who's going to read it. <laughs> no, 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 it's true. What do you feel most passionate about? I mean, is there another frontier for you? I think the thing that is more passionate for me now is about getting this into the education of nurses. I do educate nurses, so I would like to expand the, what we include with this. So that would be something I'm working towards. And also, um, I'm about to undertake some more research into near-death experiences and spiritually transformative experiences that occurred during COVID as well. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who have these kind of experiences. Um, and so we're looking at that. And I'm going to be collaborating with Professor Bettina Schmidt on that, who is um, a professor down at Lampeter University, also in Wales. I'm looking forward to doing some more research because I have not done much in the last few years. Yeah, definitely my work with near-death experiences is where my passion lies. And I'm so glad that it does. <laughs> I truly am. I think it's fascinating, the whole area of spiritual transformation and near-death experiences just seem to be really instructive for people. I guess there's always that risk that someone will hear about them and think, well, if they try to kill themselves, they'll have a near-death experience. And that certainly is not the case. But I think it's more what we can learn. And the stories themselves generate a certain kind of beauty and awe in the people who hear them. And I think it's contagious. <laughs> I yeah. think there's something contagious there in a yeah. good way. Yeah, you're quite right, because um, Kenneth Ring did some uh, research back in the 1980s. He was one of the four pioneers in the field. He used to teach a course on near-death experiences. And what he found is that his students were also transformed in the way that people are through having a near-death experience just by studying the experiences. So they are contagious. Yeah, and certainly it's had that knock-on effect with me as well. It's transformed the way I live my life. So if you can really engage with these experiences, they can be life-transforming. That's absolutely wonderful news for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Penny, I think I'll leave it there. Just again, I'm just so grateful for all that you're doing. And I do think that your work has certainly affected my life. And I am hugely grateful for that, too. So thank, oh, you. thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank you for your work. I look forward to watching the finished products. I can't wait to show you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. This conversation is brought to you by the When You Die Project. From existential afterlife questions to palliative care and the nuts and bolts of green burial, if it has to do with death, we're talking about it. Whenyoudie.org